Welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. And today I have a very special guest joining me from over in Japan. And he is an author. He's also the head of the neo-decadent art movement, which includes a lot of uh, different types of writings and occult themes, and also a member of the Japanese OTO. So uh, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and you know, how you got into um, esoteric and occult practices and writings and things along those lines. Yeah, um, yeah, thanks. So um, yeah, first of all, I just want to say thanks so much for, uh, for having me on here. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll go straight into it. Um, I would say I, I came out of, uh, I, was, I was, I guess, thinking about the background of uh, anyone who gets like seriously into uh, into the occult or esoteric, and uh, I think uh, I think compared to a lot of people I know and a lot of people I've heard about, um, my background is um, I was raised in quite a uh, quite a like serious uh, Roman Catholic background. I mean, I, I don't know what's uh, I don't know about your own background, but um, mm-hmm. I was raised uh, so I was raised in that, and uh, both my I mean my par- my background is a little bit mixed. Um, my father, were, were they like strict Catholics pretty much, or was it um, more of like, uh, they go to church on Christmas kind of Catholics? <laughs> yeah, they were, you know? I'm trying to think how to describe it because they were, I was, I was thinking about how to describe this and I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them strict in the sense of that they were necessarily strict with me, but they were, they took it seriously. So they were mm-hmm. like, um, they definitely, definitely weren't, you know, Christmas and Easter, uh, Catholics and um, mm-hmm. they were quite aware. Well, at least my father. I mean, he was quite he was quite aware of kind of like the you know scholastic tradition or the kind of uh, the kind of more like intellectual side of it. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but they they definitely took it very seriously, and they they like they still do today, right? So, um, so I was I was coming from an environment where. Um, I guess I was I was sort of like considering these, um, like ontological or I guess you could call them existential kind of questions from um, from quite a young age, and I, I guess I had a, a lot to uh, a lot to think about with these um, with uh, with this kind of like entire system which was um, which was being presented to me. Mm-hmm. So I think. Um, I was I was thinking about that phrase like uh, out of out of the box thinker, um, mm-hmm. and I think if you really look into that phrase, um, I think the first part of it is like being aware that there is a box. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, um, sure, sure. So I think like I think like Roman Catholicism um, is a very is a very complicated box. If you uh, if you know what I mean? Um, sure, sure, sure. So it. I think I, I think I, I reached the point where I reached the point before I think before I was even a teenager where um, I realized it was a box, but um, but again, it's it's a very complicated box, and there's a lot of uh, over the you know over the two thousand years, there's a lot of uh, very complicated kind of uh, thought that has gone into it. Um, mm. Being I guess being myself, I, I start I did take it even as a very small child, I took it very seriously and I started um thinking like, well, 
what is real? Like, is are is this real? Are supernatural things real? In the same mm. way, a sandwich is real. Or uh, <laughs> so I, I started. I started like when I was even a very small, I guess, child. I was, I was sort of dealing with these existential or kind of almost like mystical questions. But um, again, being Catholicism, there was there was always a very complicated answer ready. So, um, mm. so I was grappling with that and I took it, I took it very seriously until I was about maybe 11 or 12 or so. And, um, mm-hmm. eventually the, the sort of, um, I guess internal contradictions kind of just became too much. And, um, <laughs> what is probably the, uh, the standard move, which is you just pivot the other way. So you pivot to just like, right. Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do that and still do that and kind of uh, just continue that for life. So, um, so I went from a, I went from a pretty, you know, thoughtful Catholic to probably a pretty thoughtful um, atheist. And, Mm -hmm. and I kind of stayed that way for most of my teens. I mean, I was, you know, I was very, uh, I was very invested in like, the scientific method and this sort of, uh, this very like rational uh, sort of perspective or uh, mm. approach to things. Um, but again, it wasn't like my temperament was always quite, um, quite different. So um, as, as I was, as I was continuing with my reading, um, you know, things like uh, Robert Anton Wilson or, um Grant Morrison or awesome yeah Dick or all these kinds of writers um I started getting more of that sort of uh I guess we would almost call like a like a chaos magic perspective Mm -hmm. Um, so those writers kind of kind of like open the doors to new ways of thinking and yeah yeah definitely definitely as a teenager um so I Mm -hmm. say like from the time I was a teenager until really almost my mid twenties. I, I drifted into this sort of like chaos magic sort of perspective where I was, I was doing very basic rituals and I was, um, I was kind of taking that perspective on board. Mm-hmm. And that really, again, that really persisted for, for most of my twenties. Um, and I think uh, I think one thing which which kind of pushed it over the edge was um, as I've seen discussed on uh, some of the previous podcasts here was uh, the role of psychedelics in sort of yeah. uh, just making that final kind of like final leap into into magic or um, into really embracing uh, embracing the practice I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, uh, I mean, I've heard someone else say that if you're, uh, if you're getting seriously into, into psychedelics, you're, you're sort of like halfway to the occult. Um, <laughs> and I think that's, yeah. I think that's a good way of, uh, a good way of looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. But again, my, my background was very, um, my background was a, a pretty, uh, I, I guess I would say like a pretty, again, not really strict, but pretty, uh, methodical or quite thought out um 
Catholic background, but my um my present I would say like my present perspective is is just completely almost the other extreme. I mean, it's quite uh it's quite even like primitive kind of uh kind of pagan. <laughs> Right, right, right. I find also, that interesting. Like, uh, like uh, friends of mine who, um, like, their dad was a, um, like, a pastor or a priest or anything like that. They always went the other end of the spectrum. They always swung the pendulum to the fully opposite end, right? Like, totally, yeah. uh, you know, either like you said, like uh, atheist or like other friends that went full like yogi. You know, like. Like, yeah. the, like the opposite i would just like yeah. totally piss off piss off their parents yeah, and like yeah, a completely yeah. like non-dogmatic like just meditate in the woods you know yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> I, think, um, yeah. I think i think the, i think the, the reasoning for that is because um because it is such a because it is such a complicated box and because it's such um like i have like ages ages zero to like 10 for me where enough christianity for like 10 incarnations basically so like <laughs> so there's <laughs> there's like no like it has no i mean like i just i know it inside out so there's nothing really um like i think i think people from like people who were raised in you know either kind of like in different backgrounds or sort of uh sort of more uh I don't know how to say it, but um, well, basically just any other background, like uh, whether that's a you know a Buddhist background or a, even like a New Age kind of background. I mean, I think for them, there's more of a there's more of a sense that there might be like hidden depths to you know Christianity or Catholicism or something. And um, I was I would, like by the time I was about 12 years old, I was like I had you know I'd been so deep in it that um, there's very little about it that could I think at this point they could like ever surprise or like really interest me that much. So um, I think <laughs> one reason, like uh, a lot of people probably just completely um, go the other way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, I think the, the sort of a uh, psychedelic or chaos kind of perspective. I mean, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty steeped in that up until I would say like my mid twenties. And um, I'd always been uh I'd always been interested in Thelema and uh, Alistair Crowley, um, but other than other than reading a few very kind of foundational texts, like I hadn't really, I hadn't really, you know, taken it taken it on that much, and I just sort of, um, I just sort of like assumed in kind of a naive way that I think a lot of people do. Uh, mm -hmm most of the material had been sort of like superseded or just like integrated so well that there wasn't even really much point in, you know, looking at it in depth, mm. Um, mm. which I think is, which I think is still kind of a perspective that a lot of people have. Um, but I just, you know, without, without really trying to, I just ended up reading more and more uh, Crowley material and Crowley books. And um, I found out that I hadn't really, actually understood it very well at all and like actually that it was quite at odds with probably most people's uh even most current occultists um values and and maybe even kind of uh, actual practice as well um mm -hmm. so when i when i found myself in japan i mean i i've 
I know you're in uh, you're in Korea, and um, I'm just mm. the, over the pond here in uh, <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> Um, you've been in, you've been there for over ten years, right? Yeah, over over ten years. So I, I guess kind of same as you, right? You've been in Korea about about a decade, or yeah, roughly about that. Yeah. Yeah. So when I um, so I've been living here quite long term, and um, I was doing um, I I'd formed sort of a kind of like a informal kind of a kind of magical group with uh, with some like minded friends here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were all, we were really into psychedelics. We were really into kind of magic. Um, and we're kind of, we're kind of all very uh, chaos magic sort of influenced. So we're meeting pretty regularly um, and kind of doing, you know, fairly basic, you know, researching fairly basic stuff and doing kind of fairly basic practice. Um, and at one point me and uh, myself and one of the other members we're, we're just sitting around and we're like, hmm, I wonder if there's a, wonder if there's a Japanese OTO, right? Uh, mm. Now there was. Um, so we got in touch with them and uh, I at least eventually ended up joining. Um, so I, as a result of that, I mean, I got, I just got even more into, uh, into Thelema, uh, which is sort of continuing to the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Japanese OTO, I'm curious, like when did that, when did that lodge start? Like, is it, does it have like a, you know, did it start like a long time ago or is it more of like a modern thing? Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, if I'm, if I remember correctly, uh, this year it's exactly, uh, 30 years old. Okay. It's been around a while. So yeah, it's actually, um, it actually been around a while and, um, there are some interesting, there are some interesting links. Like there's some, uh, some uh some members who would be who would be well known to um i guess american or uh european branches or lodges uh mm-hmm. have actually been out to japan and uh have uh have spent some time here um but it is again being that it is japan based japan centered and uh japanese membership um it definitely has its own unique uh sort of perspective and um I think that's the other thing that interests me. I mean, there's the, uh, there's again, and I think there's, I think a common perspective is that um, hierarchical magical orders are sort of like old eon or. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Especially, especially now. And like, that was, um, that was definitely my perspective too. Uh, from twenties, mm. I was just saying, Oh, it's some, um, you know, this must be outdated or, uh, you know, everything you can do, everything as a solo practitioner. Um, mm-hmm. now that, now that we have the internet, you know, we can just do everything ourselves and we don't need to, uh, why would you join a hierarchical, you know, order that's, you know, been around and is easily global mm-hmm. and you can, you know, you can find all the flaws before you even start. Right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I think that's like, to be fair, I think that is a very valid perspective and I would actually, I would actually be suspicious of anyone who didn't go in with that perspective. Um, mm. So I think I think everything uh, I think everything should be open to a lot of criticism right from the start. Um, but for me, at least, I mean, I I think especially because it was because it is um, Japan centered and Japan based. There's uh, there's sort of almost like an interesting fusion of I would say like Thelema and um some maybe 
you know, Japanese influences or Eastern influences. Um, mm, that sounds pretty cool. Pretty eclectic, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very eclectic and especially, um, especially with some things like um, sort of finding links between Western astrology and like Chinese astrology. Um, oh, that sounds really cool. Wow. Yeah. So there's definitely, there's definitely some members working on, um, I won't, I won't talk about their projects too much, but um, mm-hmm. members who are really pioneering kind of like a synthesis of uh, what I would consider Western esotericism and sort of uh, East, the Eastern, Eastern esotericism as well. Um, That's interesting. Cause then uh, I, I don't know that much about it, but here in Korea, there's uh, something called Saju, which is sort of um, uh, it's based on like Chinese astrology. Right, they right, also right, right. Use, they, they use a natal chart and there's different element elemental uh, correspondences and stuff like that. So I definitely want to interview. I'm going to try to get um, like one of these people on here that speaks English on one of the episodes because I think it'd be super interesting because they have, um, you know, some I guess some of them do understand Western astrology, too. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah if you don't that's not like Western people or a lot of Western practitioners don't they know about it, but they haven't really heard much about it or haven't really dived into it. So it'd be pretty interesting to hear that perspective. And, and, and like you're saying, you have people who are like, uh, like synthesizing them. That, that's pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, I would, I'd love to, um, I might, I might pitch the idea to them. I'd, I'd actually love to get one of the Japanese members on here for, for an interview where they could maybe, um, they can oh, maybe, they'd maybe even talk about their own practice because um, as mm-hmm. I, I think the, I think that the general idea in the West of like Chinese astrology is very, um, it's almost like, the, it's just like a, you know, it's like almost like a stereotypical <laughs> Chinese restaurant idea. It's like, you know, are you the rat or are you the ox? Or, um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, fortune so cookies, I, right? Yeah. So I think, um, I think there's, I think a lot of, um, a lot of people don't perceive that it actually isn't equally deep system with um you know with similar similar sort of uh i don't know what you would call them i guess esoteric um extrapolations or applications you could say um yeah exactly mm-hmm. so that's one i think that's one reason where i would say um and another reason i think i think another reason i decided to really join um was was because i, I think i did want to just get this sort of uh, almost like community where um, I, I think uh, I think when you're like I, I, I enjoy this with uh, I enjoy collaborating with people on um, like artistic projects as well um, mm-hmm. so I thought well you know I'm, I'm doing I are like I'm already doing my solo practice so um, why not you know I, and I was thinking well I, I want to to the extent that I'm able to, I want to, I want to meet, you know, Thelemites in Japan and um, certainly, <laughs> certainly joining the OTO would be a good way about that. Right. Um, right. So, so it's good to also expand your social network and work on certain projects and stuff like that. And um, as far as like, uh, there's like group ritual work and stuff like that, what would you say is, like we we're talking about like practicing solo versus group what what benefits have you seen from like the group practices versus you know going completely solo well um i think um 
I think uh, I think it was maybe uh, Freder RC in one of your uh, previous podcasts, and um, I think he commented on this issue, and he said something like, uh, "Even when you're with a group or with an order, you're still alone." Um, and I think there's a, I think there's a lot of truth to that idea where your um, your solo practice is continuing along with your alongside your group practice, um, mm-hmm. and to an extent, your group practice is almost like an extension of your of your solo practice so it's not like you're it's not like you're giving up any um any individuality or any uh any of your solo practice and uh even when you're doing um even when you're doing group uh group work or or group practice um you're very much bringing your solo practice to bear upon that and uh, Mm -hmm. But I think I think the benefit is you do get other people's perspectives and you see what other people are. Um, so you're coming to you're coming to something with uh, people from people from very different backgrounds, uh, different races, different genders, um, entirely mm-hmm. you know cultural backgrounds or um, or histories um, who might be who might be working on things that you're uh, that you're not so good at or you want to explore further. Um, I'm, I'm personally, well, it, astrology is like, uh, is one of my sort of weak points. And, uh, some of the jet, like I mentioned, some of the Japanese members here are just like astrology geniuses. So, um, mm. I, think I can, anything I can take away and learn from them and sort of, uh, sort of, uh, get value from is, is definitely, uh, is definitely great for me. So, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I'm like preaching to uh, the crowd here, but um, I definitely don't think anyone should be like intimidated by group practice or like should assume that um, magical orders are like outdated or old aeon or um, mm-hmm. anything like that. So I think, you know, you have to, uh, you have to investigate and definitely come in with uh, a critical approach, but um, I think, I think there's a lot of value you can get from it. And uh a lot you can learn from it for sure and also seems like it's very much so uh lodge by lodge kind of thing right like you hear some horror stories of certain groups right and then uh, other ones that are other ones that are like very well put together and have you know incredible members that are writing amazing books and kind of pushing the envelope in different areas of study yeah i I personally i personally don't i mean (laughs) it might it might sound kind of boring but i i personally don't have like any horror stories or any, um, any, I guess, I don't know what you would call it, like malicious gossip or, or sort of uh, negativity about it. I mean, I notice, um, I notice online there is a lot of, uh, it's very political, it's very factional, and it, it does, mm. it does seem to be very case by case basis, but um, down, Japan, I mean, I guess we're sort of on our own literal island here. Um, uh yeah i have you know the japanese oto uh nihil lodge i have i have nothing but good things to say about them so um but definitely i would would advise anyone to definitely do your homework and um come Mm. in critical perspective and uh you know have standards and uh as long as you do that i mean i think you should be fine okay cool yeah if someone's in japan how would they um how would they find it you can, um, I was just, it, it does have a website in both uh, English and Japanese. Um, so you just log up uh, Google 
up uh, Nihil Lodge, which is the name of the uh, the local OTO body, mm-hmm. and, and should be able to get in contact through that. Okay, cool. I was wondering, uh, is there um, is there? Do you know if there's a is there a Korean OTO, or are are there many orders like active in in Seoul or in in Korea? Or? As far as I know, there isn't. I've looked stuff up like that before. Um, there yeah. isn't. There is. There is. There are a few uh, Freemason lodges, and I'm pretty close with some of the guys at the uh, one of the, the main lodge here, actually. Right, 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 right. And um, which is pretty cool. It's not. I mean, it's not like it's not the OTO, but there are some guys that are more into the esoteric stuff, and then. You know, yeah, I've had um, like to hang out, hang out and drink all night, which is also fun too. So. <laughs> yeah, I've um, I've met some um, I've met some people with uh, Masonic backgrounds here, and um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the um, it's definitely a different perspective, but um, you know, the the OTO is, I guess, we would call like a uh, a pseudo Masonic order. So there's definitely a, mm. a chassis or a, a kind of a foundation of there's definitely like Masonic literal dna with it um in the way right right with uh there's like degrees and whatnot right yeah yeah yeah. i mean it's it's a you know it's a it is a it is a mystery school um it's an Mm -hmm. initiatory order um Mm. and i think that's i think that that brings us back to uh to your question uh which is yeah i mean can you can you completely initiate yourself well well, sure. I mean, I'm sure you can, but um, but yeah, going going through initiations uh, in that sense is a, at least for me, I found to be a very valuable uh, valuable experience. And um, I always think, what would you, you know, initiations in an occult order? What would you what would you really compare uh, the experience to psychically? And and I always I always do come back to comparing it to to doing psychedelics because mm. always like you to a certain ex, to a certain extent you know what's going to happen but you always kind of don't at the same time do you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah 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 so i think i think mentally putting yourself in that space of at least some complete uncertainty um Sure, putting yourself in a sort of vulnerable. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and you can I think um, things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I think reaching that initiatory, you know, kind of vulnerable or uncertain mental state, um, I think that's an area common to, um, well, esoteric practice and uh, psychedelics and initiatory or um, kind of mystery school type orders. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that I think that initiatory mindset or initiation when you're you're most you're actually most aware of reality in a way because the uh, mm. sort of you know psychic sensor or the uh, the filter kind of you don't have that to fall back on as much. Mm. Okay. So yeah. Can, so can you can you reach that? same initiatory mindset by yourself well yeah certainly you could um but i do think there is i do think there is value in uh in undergoing initiations in in kind of like a formal uh context or uh 
Right. And it's not like the two are mutually exclusive. Like, you know, it's not like you can't do your own work, you know, when you're on definitely. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, it's definitely my almost like a, sometimes the way people describe it's almost like this false dichotomy of like, you know, yeah, I find it, I find it, I find it a very, I find it a very strange, um, a strange dichotomy where Mm -hmm. some people react so strongly against the idea of like, joining joining anything like and i i get that um i I guess i would i would classify this as sort of like a instinctive american perspective which you could um you could apply kind of across the board to uh to other fields of uh fields of uh pursuit but i i think there's this uh i think there's this naive perspective that in in practice often ends up being um Everyone, everyone assumes that they're the absolute individual. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost like it's almost like let's see how, let's see how individual we can all become in exactly the same way. Um, <laughs> yeah, like it sounds like you're explaining a hipster, really. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I, I think there, I think there is this sort of line of thinking in a lot of um, among occultism, or um, and. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think it doesn't have to be an either or proposition. I mean, you can, your solo practice is, you know, the, the heart of the work. Basically. You have to, you have to do the work yourself, but mm-hmm. you, can, you can always work with, uh, with other people and uh, learn mm-hmm. from, and get value from that too. Um, mm-hmm. So I would, I would, I guess I would caution people to be, um, to be, you know, absolutely opposed to any kind of idea of of joining something or any kind of hierarchical order or something. Um, so yeah, that's right. Sort of how so it, kind of keeping kind of keeping like a skeptical yet open to experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think that is sort of I think that is sort of what I would consider the polemic perspective, or at least it should be. Um, mm-hmm hesitant when people the ways in which people would describe the lemma you know they would say um there's some people who take a very like they want like a replacement church almost you're right <laughs> and um and i always i always think it's a very to me that's a very strange way of uh looking at it and there's there's other people who want it to be um you know just anything they want it to be you know if they're uh if they're basically like a, I don't know, secular liberal humanist, you know, perspective, then that's what they want it to be, you know. And they, they'll, you know, there's there's people that want it to be, uh, or you know, people who want magic to be entirely, uh, you know, kind of psychological, uh, mm. on, you know, or, or fit within their their kind of uh, framework. So I'm always. Uh, mm. And I think Crowley himself was was quite skeptical of any any attempt to have these kind of uh, these kind of definite locked in place perspectives on it. And um, if you know, right. if you look at the way he taught people, um, he often did give contradictory answers to things. Like he would say, um, you know, someone would ask him, "Is the uh, is the algoides or the you know the HGA?" Is, mm-hmm. oh, is it a supernatural entity or is it just like a psychological um, 
construct higher, ge higher genius or something yeah yeah, yeah. and um i think depending on who he was talking to or depending on the needs of the moment he would he would give totally different answers so um i think a lot of the time a lot of these questions do end up being sort of uh both and neither um mm. i was certainly but I, I definitely think a skeptical or a critical mindset is uh is pretty crucial to any uh any thalamic perspective at least as i understand it i mean i i wouldn't i wouldn't call myself uh any kind of uh master occultist or anything i, I always do try to keep uh keep a beginner mindset and kind of a critical mindset but um but that, mm, an open um, open mind that you can sort of take on uh different paradigms and whatnot right you know? right 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 and um but, right. It's kind of funny because I see so much of this arguing online, like when you go on like Facebook or whatever, like psychological model versus spirit model. And like these people, that well, I like, think um, people, people love to argue. And like, I think uh, um, I think a lot of that is is a is a remnant of uh, Christian mm -hmm. thing, and uh, specifically, specifically mm -hmm. what I would consider um, Christian metaphysical thinking. And um, again, sure. from coming from a, I guess, a pretty serious, you know, Roman Catholic background, like, I think I can, I think I can recognize that where I, th whereas I think some people don't know the, um, I guess like it, as Nietzsche would put it, like the, uh, the genealogy of their own morals or their values or their, um, the mm. genealogy of their metaphysics that they maybe, uh, they maybe take for granted without really, um, without really interrogating or really investigating um, and I, I think that, um, I think one of the things that I, I came to terms with when I, when I did sort of make my own break from, um, from Christianity was, was also sort of making a break from, um, what I would consider, or I guess what you could call sort of, uh, a binary metaphysics of, you know, like a material world and a spiritual world or, um, you know, a, a natural world and a supernatural world. And I, I think a lot of people still, you know, unconsciously incorporate this, this kind of metaphysic or this kind of dynamic, um, mm. even once they, you know, would consider themselves to have moved beyond it, but they're, they're still sort of maybe without realizing it still sort of incorporating this, uh, you know, is it, is it a metaphor? Is it, is it like, <laughs> is it, you know, is it psychological? And um, so I think, right. I think a big part of my approach is, is sort of, um, is sort of, well, first trying to interrogate that and find out how deep that runs. See if there's anything we can do about it, because I actually, I actually kind of instinctively really dislike that sort of framing. Um, sure. Me too. I, I don't, I, I think in practice it, uh, it doesn't really lead anywhere I would consider uh, productive. Uh, again, mm -hmm. as, we, as we can see from, uh, you know, <laughs> controversy and a lot of, uh, a lot of this sort of uh, low level of a lot of these debates, I think, uh, I think a lot mm -hmm. of do uh, degenerate into arguing about very kind of uh, unexamined metaphysics, which, uh, which lie beyond, uh, a lot of people's assumptions about what their what perspective they're coming from sure sure that makes complete sense um okay cool 
what what types of practices do you do regularly? Um, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, I suppose as a solo practitioner. Yeah, it's solo. My to explore. Yeah. My solo practices are, are quite basic and are quite you know like LBRP, mm-hmm. um, Resh, you know, basic sort of uh, thalamic practices, um, the yogic practices. Um, Mm-hmm. So I'm very, uh, my, my daily rituals are very basic in that sense. And uh, I think um, I'm gradually working my way into more Enochian territory, which I, I believe you've, uh, you've explored as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oops. Oh, sorry. Hold on one second. Okay. Yeah. My audio cut out for a second. Okay. Oh, no worries. Yeah. Is it, uh, is it working or? Oh, it's, uh, yeah, hold on. Okay, yeah, we're good, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's because, I think it's because you mentioned Anokian, so, uh, you know, a portal sort of a... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think you just opened one of the aethers and my uh, audio got sucked into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, I haven't, um, I haven't pursued it as deeply until now as I would like to, but um, it's one of the areas areas I can see myself moving into more and um it's such a it's such a it's such a fantastically complicated but also uh weirdly elegant kind of system i think um yeah it's very it's very complex but at the same time simple so i don't know the only way i can describe it is there there's a lot you do need to understand and study and create right like yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah i mean creating like the furniture table furniture and things you know sigillum dmf and things like that um, and then understanding sort of the, uh, the why or the how that kind of thing, right. can take a while, but then in actual practice, it's not that complicated. Right. So right, 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 right. And, the, um, preparatory, the preparatory part is the complicated part, not the actual. Yeah. 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 So it, se. it uh, seems a lot. Yeah. It does seem a lot of upfront work. Um, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, it is, it is something I'm planning to get to, um, in the, not so distant future um but my as far as my as far as my daily practice goes i mean it's, it is a lot of uh like path working tarot uh, mm-hmm. sort of like basic thalamic uh practices resh uh lbrp um so i i think my my mindset can get quite imaginative and quite um quite you know thinking into corners or thinking outside of uh the boxes. So I think I kind of conversely, I, I, I usually like to try to focus on the very kind of like basic rituals and just try to go ever deeper into them and see where, see where they take me and see what, see what I can um, get from them. Mm-hmm. More uh, kind of the presence of direct experience and exploring different kind uh, of, yeah, deepening the same practices. It's very interesting. Have you ever read uh read this not that long ago it's uh it's an israel regardi book called ceremonial magic actually have you read that book um no I, I don't think i've read that particular one but i have read i have read a number of his other books and um mm-hmm. it's really a really good one i think you should check it out sometime because it's right. short it's only it's only like a hundred it's probably like a hundred pages or something like that right right but, right, right, uh, right. but he basically expands on um it's only two rituals which were the bornless one or the headless right and yeah. um the watchtower the enochian watchtower right right right, right, right. 
So he shows like the real simple outline of a ritual. And then he so shows how over time you can just expand it and expand it. It's the same thing you're doing, but you're just deepening it and deepening right, it. Right, 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 right. I think that, so um, that, I think it's pretty quite interesting. Yeah. I think that, I think that bornless ritual or that headless ritual or however it's translated, um, that's, um, I was, I was talking to one of my, one of my friends and, um, collaborators, uh, Damien Murphy, who's, uh, not sure, I, I'm, not, I'm never sure if I'm getting this right, but I think he's the head of the uh, the GD, the Golden Dawn in um, Seattle. But um, okay, cool. he's he seems quite into that uh, the bornless one or the headless one, and um, especially tracing it to more accurate translations um, from mm. uh, like the Greek magical papyri. And, um, right, the P, the PGM trending. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's, it's it's trending heavily these days. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It does seem to be. It does seem to be really blowing up. And um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I think with uh, like Jake Stratton Kent and some of the uh, some other yeah. people of, uh, I actually vibe quite well with that approach of uh, really, really looking at some of these apparently basic things in almost like their original context rather than sort of a filtered you know victorian uh context right right sort of going back into the origins of a lot of the grimoric you know like how, how did where, where did a lot of these grimoire grimoire start and then how they evolved into like the gd or thalema right and people right, are right. Like and that... trying trying to go back to more sort of sort of the origins of a lot of these things right right and i think a lot of it is sort of um it sort of is applying that almost what uh, I guess what a lot of people would consider a uh, sort of like prim well not really primitive but um, it <laughs> a it's kind of funny because primitive to me sounds like cool but then to others it could be like oh this is uh, like stupid or something like that. right right like, right there's, and, there's there's different ways you can interpret yeah that word, and I suppose right I think um I think I guess a a bit yeah like a better way of putting it rather than primitive would be um like original context in a sense. Because um, even the even the Golden Dawn in a lot of ways is very um, is very what I what I would consider sort of like um, Victorian masonry or you know sort of Victorian Christianized approach to a lot of these a lot of these ideas. Um, yeah, I think I think it's interesting because like you're saying, people are going back towards um, I guess you would say primitive or older practices and origins which i think is pretty cool to you know explore the different ways that people thought back then and their sort of praxis or the paradigms right and uh kind of seeing how things evolved but, yeah yeah uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and which is cool but then at the same time there's almost like like you fall into with anything these um like false dichotomies or these like arguments yeah. again right well, those are, like, that's some you know, i think that it's, is it's, my it, it, it always cracks me up though like how people love to argue these things but it's it's like older is better or no newer is but you know they fall into yeah this, and like, I, yeah. I think um <laughs> I, I I guess like I don't really I don't really see them as being a progression so much as almost like um almost like competing metaphysical models in a way um mm -hmm. and I think even with my even with my own interest in Thalema is um to what extent is this actually a new aeon of of not only values, but also sort of these, these considerations where rather than, rather than having these either or sort of um, dichotomies between, you know, material and spiritual or 
psychological or um to what i think we to what extent can we look at um esotericism or occultism is actually interrogating very very basic sort of ontological positions which i think a lot of people still sort of take for granted and i think um that is what interests me about the work of um jake stratton kent where um mm -hmm. i think he he even said something like he he considers spirits to be material mm -hmm. which i think i think is a statement which a lot of people would just not even be able to process right because <laughs> right it, it it sounds like a contradiction. Yes, it sounds like it sounds like a contradiction, and I think um, I think that's usually a sign that you've you've sort of reached the limits of you know the ontology that you're using or the metaphysic that you're coming in with when when things start sounding like contradictions or turning into contradictions. I think it's I think it's usually a sign sure. sort of uh, you're sort of you know reaching the edge of the box, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, I think linguistics or words are a problem too, because like the most profound experiences I've had on, you know, heroic doses of psilocybin or <laughs> or or like uh, scrying the aethers, which have oddly enough been quite similar with these heroic dose experiences, right? Where you, I mean, I can try to write it down or I can yeah. try to explain it. Maybe maybe I'm dumb or maybe just vocabulary is not it's too limited in general. But right. there's this sort of it's like you're trying to use these. <laughs> it's like you're trying to use these symbols to uh, explain these experiment. You know, it's it's like you're having this fourth dimensional experience, but right. you're using two D or three D technology to explain it. And so it just it's just uh, it's not. It's sort of um, you, you can't really encapsulate it. So that's why it can be right. very um, con contradictory. Yeah, or and hard it's to understand or something. Yeah, right, and that um. It's interesting that you mention that because um, that that is sort of one of my own areas of um, of interest as well. Is is how does how does like all of this intersect with with language? Because um, I think if you're if you are considering things like you know high dose high dose psilocybin or um, you know some some of the more um, well I guess high dose um, DMT kind of experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's, I think there's a tendency to. I think a lot of people approach them almost as like, this is completely beyond language. I mean, just it just defeats language, or um, it's so like there's no there's no way to describe it. And and certainly, um, that certainly is what it what it feels like, right? Um, sure. So, sure. and I I think even. Even for my, for me, for myself, um, a big part of trying to come to terms with it, and um, you know, as I, as I continue to do, you know, continue to uh, go into, you know, go deeper into, you know, psilocybin and, and DMT and, and some of these, um, some of these, uh, some of these realms, some of these areas is um, like where, where does this? At what point does this intersect with? with language um mm. and i think you can i think it can intersect in more productive ways than people would often assume and i think mm -hmm. but I, th I think part of the uh part of the challenge is sort of not giving into that temptation to just be like 
it's indescribable or like you know it's it's beyond like sure um and well i think um like i said i think i kind of mentioned that maybe i'm just too dumb to describe it i'm not as um i'm not as i'm not i'm not a master of words like you like somebody who's like a writer like you Uh, um, who who can better describe it i can describe it in in very primitive ways perhaps well but i think um i don't think there's any difference i mean you know to you know at an underlying level i mean every way Mm. every way of describing it is necessarily going to be kind of primitive right um you know, and it, the more you like, like, could you could you really describe like what cheese sandwich tastes like, or like what you know, what getting punched in the head feels like? I mean, you can. I think even even describing very basic things, um, the deeper you go into it, it it becomes much much more difficult and much more sort of um, tautological than. Uh, mm-hmm than people would think so i think i think my way of looking at it at least recently is um everyday things are actually much harder to describe than we would think and um you know yeah that makes sense extreme sort of mystical states or entheogenic states are maybe not necessarily easier to describe but um I think if we, I think if we sort of resist the temptation to just be like, it's beyond language. Well, I wouldn't say it's really necessarily beyond language, but it does, mm. does sort of entail using language in ways that um, most people probably wouldn't unless they're, unless they're maybe like poets or have some sort of, uh, have some sort of background with, uh, with that. So um, sure, sure. It gets a lot of gear. I feel like I've yeah. maybe wandered wandered off track here, but um, I guess I guess the original point was always how much of that how much of that can you bring back, which is always the uh, which is always the key um, consideration, at least for me. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I almost viewed. Uh, I remember having like deep psychedelic trips and like. Uh, it, you have this like direct experience of whatever you want to call it, different realities or entities or God or whatever. Right? And uh, I remember thinking like, this is what Moses or like these prophets are saying, and then they bring it back and then they codify it. And then people are believing other people's direct revelatory experiences rather than having their own. Does that make sense? Right, right, like, right. It's like, it's, always, like, um... it's like, yeah, it's like I just ate a bunch of shrooms and then I wrote a book on what I saw and then people thought that's like the ultimate reality of although it was my experience not their own you know right 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 and um yeah. I think that's the danger is <laughs> when you um I mean it, it gets a bit technical but um it, I think it gets into that idea of representation where, like uh mm-hmm. you know you could look at it as like the microcosm and the the macrocosm like to what extent is to what extent can our language even um, refer to things or like to what extent can it? Um, and for me, I mean, I, like the ideal obviously is the, the raw reality of, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, you know, grabbing a fish from the water and just throwing it onto land, sort of a immediate encounter with, uh, <laughs> with, these, uh, with these states, but... Um, mm. So, but at the same time, I, I don't think the, uh, 
I don't think the linguistic or sort of the language approach is necessarily a bad thing. And it can actually intersect with the direct experience as well in, in sort of uh, interesting ways. And um, all, of my, all of my sort of psychedelic uh, experiences and also, you know, kind of focused uh, esoteric experiences, um, you end up bringing back so much sort of language related content and things, uh, things which give me ideas for the ways these things sort of intersect or interact. So I don't see them as being completely separate or um, I don't, I don't actually, you know, it's sort of the, uh, the microcosm is within the macrocosm and, you know, the macrocosm is within the, the microcosm. And um, I don't know which one would even be which in this case, but, I do think that I do think that language is is real, and I, I don't think it's. I, I think it's I think it's real in the same way that our bodies are real, which is maybe a weird way to put it. But um, mm. I do I do think that language. Uh, you know, it, it sounds a bit like uh, Jake Stratton Kent with the uh, with the spirits, but I, I do mm. think that language is material in in a, in a strange way and. I, I do think that it does, like it does exist. Like it's not just some, it's not just some convenient illusion or um, sketch or something. I mean, it, it is its own reality that um, that exists alongside of and inside of other realities and sort of uh, produces and is produced by them. I guess you could say. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um... Speaking of Jake Stratton Kent, someday you have to read this book. I'd be curious what you think about it. Uh, he has a book called um, The Serpent Tongue, and it's on English Kabbalah and how like words in, in the English, you know, like a lot of the Kabbalah is like the Hebrew. And right, the right, 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 right. Um, what's the term like gematria? Gematria, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the um, numer numerical value of certain right. words that are in certain texts and whatnot, right? So he does that with the English language, and so uh, that book's a mind bender. You should definitely read that. That sounds that sounds amazing. Yeah, I've been um I've been slowly working my way through uh, Geo Sophia recently. Um, oh, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, so yeah, the one the one you the one you mentioned is definitely I definitely like to get to that. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, uh, since you're in Japan and Japan has its own unique traditions and religions, you know, Shintoism and they have, uh, you know, like Zen is very popular there, like Zen Buddhism, which obviously Buddhism isn't from Japan, but sort of uh, the Zen branch is definitely prominent there. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. 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 So there's like, and then there's the native stuff like Shinto and other things like that. What are, what are some like interesting uh, practices or traditions maybe that you've explored or that you've come into contact there that like a lot of Westerners might not be aware of? Um, yeah, that's a such a deep question, and um, I, mm. uh, I almost don't know where to begin with uh, with. <laughs> but um, but I think um, I think I guess just to start with uh, the beginning would be um, even even with the even with all of the branches and, and practices that you mentioned. Um, I think um, I think to what extent is um, something like. Zen or um, Chan Buddhism, like what, to what extent is it even something that we would consider Buddhism, at least in its original context? And um, mm. someone, uh, 
I think there's always a lot of ways to frame these things. Um, I, I saw someone, the, uh, someone posted something where they, uh, they described the original Buddhism as uh, Vedic Satanism or something, which is... <laughs> which oh, is yeah, such yeah a, like, a, like a Vedic uh, heretic or something like yeah, that. It's such yeah, a, it's such a strange way to describe it, but I think there's actually a lot of like accuracy there in a way. Um, mm-hmm. So I think um, I think Japanese Buddhism, which is which to a large extent is um, quite similar to the uh, kind of Chinese uh, Chan Buddhism, or um, yeah, I think that's what uh, I think that's where the origin lies. I believe it's uh, yeah, and I yeah, uh-huh. I, I'm always I'm always kind of like I always like to think well, how much of this is like what we would consider like the equivalent of like Vedic Satanism or like even. I don't know what you'd call it, like Buddhist Satanism or, you know, turning it on its head or something. And I think, um, I think maybe the answer is just, again, another one of these uh, <laughs> kind of, uh, it's, well, it's, it's in dialogue with it or something sort of uh, kind of responses. Um, you know, I, I have, um, I have been down to, uh, down to Engakuji, which is one of the, the Zen temples here. And, and I, I do know, um, I do have very close friends who have spent significant periods of time um, sitting down at the temple uh, in Gakuji and, uh, you know, pursuing Zazen and pursuing Zen very seriously. And uh, mm. I, I'm also, I guess I, I did get, I did get very heavily into it for a while and I'm, I'm quite into uh, a lot of the uh, Zen writings like Mumonkan or the, uh, it's not one of these sort of untranslatable book titles, but I, I think it's usually translated as uh, the gateless gate or the uh, the gateless barrier. Um, mm, okay. But it's, it's just such a radical sort of collection of these uh, Zen stories and Zen sayings. Um, and if you read it from a, if you read it from a different angle, it's almost, uh, it'd almost be like absurdist fiction or something because it's, 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 <laughs> it's heavily absurd and it's very, is very funny, which is which is a really strange. Um, like, uh, I think most religious texts are not usually known for their humor, <laughs> you know, right? Right, right, right. That's what I like about some, like, definitely some Zen writings are like that, or um, uh, like Chogyam Trungpa, like Tibetan right, right, writer, right, right. If and you ever um, read any of his books, it's like yeah. it's like uh, it's like they're intentionally fucking with your head, so right? That you and get um, these like f- false dichotomies and stuff, right? Right, and I think um, I think one of the, one of the reasons that I did end up um, going deeper and deeper into uh, Crowley and Thelema was that um, I I started finding Crowley, um, and I still do find him just just hilarious. Like there's like I just. <laughs> I crack up constantly when reading his descriptions of, of people and um, especially any, like anytime he like doesn't like someone or doesn't like something um, mm. just destroys them basically with, with language. <laughs> um, and I, I think he was, he, he was consciously throwing in a lot of jokes, a lot of humor. So I, I think the impulse to have sort of the impulse to include humor um, right. <laughs> just almost like compulsively is sort of one that, one that I recognize, and I'm always right. suspicious de- when, that when, <laughs> when when something doesn't do that. Like if something if something doesn't include, you know, more or less consistent sort of humor. Like I always I wouldn't say I discount it, 
but I'm sort of like, like really like, cause I mean, every, everything is just, existence is just so inherently kind of ridiculous or like, it, it seems that way to me. Um, mm-hmm. You have to so keep anything, anything which so- along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And anything which sort of doesn't include that perspective seems a bit, again, not, not necessarily suspicious, but it mm-hmm. doesn't attract me so much as, as something which, uh, which does. Right. Um, right. But that's uh, I've I've wandered off uh, wandered off topic again here. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so Japanese um, indigenous indigenous Japanese um, uh, esotericism. Well, um, there's mm-hmm. certainly is that um, Chan Buddhist or Zen uh, Buddhist tradition, which is uh, by this point is woven very very deeply into into the culture in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, as with as with everything Japan, um, a lot of a lot of material was imported from from China, which I, I guess um I guess this would be the same with Korea too, right? I mean, it would be yeah, 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 definitely most of the so Buddhism is pretty popular here as well, um, and yeah, it all came originally through pretty much a lot of the Buddhist stuff. It came through obviously India, Nepal, China, then to Korea, then to Japan. Kind of took that route. Yeah, um, so they kind of change and you know, at each country it, it arrives at different practitioners and cultures It obviously transformed, right? Right. And um, so there's so there's Buddhism. And then the, the other the other main element, I think, is, as you mentioned, is um, is Shinto and Shinto in Japan. And mm-hmm. I think there's another thing that which. Um, which which sort of. Uh, I wouldn't say really like boggles people, but it is. Um, it can be a difficult thing to get a grasp on because I, again, I, I think a lot of people come to it in terms of, um, in terms of their existing sort of, uh, well, like rubrics or, you know, perspectives. Um, mm. And I, I think the basic question that is, is that people try to get to grips with it is just like, well, what is, it? what is, what is Shinto? Like, is it, is it a religion? You know, like, uh, you get, <laughs> right. You get the, you get these very earnest uh, people, you know, maybe asking Japanese people like, uh, "Is shit a religion?" You know, and you know, um, I think uh, most of them would say like, well, "No, right?" Because it's not even. I don't think it's something they would even really necessarily conceive in in those terms, and I, I think the um, even like in the in the history when you had um, state Shinto. Like in the uh, in the mm-hmm. 1930s and uh, you know kind of the uh, the World War II period, I think even that was sort of like a very uh, self-conscious sort of like modern attempt to uh, to update it to you know religion status um, to sort of uh, you know conform to maybe uh, like an international sense of what that what that term means. So. Um, mm-hmm. So it's sort of like an ingrained part of the culture in ways, right? Isn't yeah. Like so a, is it is is yeah. Shinto a is Shinto a religion? Well, I, like you know, it, it it's you know your perspective is as good as mine, but I I wouldn't I wouldn't personally consider it like a, I wouldn't even really conceptualize it in those terms. I mean, you know, is it is it pagan? Is it animist? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you could you could describe it that way, but. Um, I think it's it's just very much its own 
uh, very specific, very kind of Japanese uh, approach to these things. And um, does it have its own occult or esoteric dimension? Well, yeah, it certainly, it certainly does. Um, but uh, it's not something I fully feel uh, qualified to um, comment on too much. But um, I would mention another branch, which uh, might be unfamiliar to people, um, to people listening. Well, depending on, depending on who they are. But um, there's a branch called uh, Onmyodo, which is, uh, which is sort of like a traditional um, uh, esoteric, uh, well, cosmology or sort of a branch of, uh, branch of practice. And um, it's essentially, I guess we would consider divination or, um, again, based on coming, a lot of it is coming from uh, sort of Chinese, uh, Chinese sources, but there's a lot of uh, native sort of, uh, sort of content as well. Um, it was actually, uh, it was actually originally a branch of like the, the civil service um, that mm. included kind of like court divination functions and, um, you know, astrology functions or exorcism functions or um, things that we would things which we would now consider sort of uh, esoteric functions. So that's um, on myodo, or the the practitioners are called on myoji. Um, mm. There's sort of a that's sort of a very distinctly Japanese sort of a branch of esotericism, which is uh, which is maybe quite obscure at the moment. Um, and I'm sure there, there are people who are familiar with it. And, you know, as with, as with everything Japanese now, it's, you know, it sometimes comes up in like, um, like anime or manga or sort of uh, like films and stuff. So uh, right, right. there is, there is an element of that, but um, that's, on Myodo is what I would sort of consider the, uh, the traditional sort of uh, divination or maybe a criticism sort of branch of, uh, Japanese uh, Japanese workings, and, um, and you know I've, I've discussed it with some of the uh, the Japanese occultists that I know, and um, you know they usually say yeah it is it is you know roughly uh, comparable or comparable to uh, to sort of those traditions. Um, you know there's there's elements of, of sort of uh, you know Taoist or sort of Buddhist uh, elements in it as well. Hmm. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard of that before, so. That definitely sounds interesting. Yeah, it's it's I interesting. Think, I mean, it's it's probably yeah. it's, it is one of the it doesn't really get as much play as sort of the uh, you know Zen or sort of uh, even sort of like Shinto kind of ideas. But um, mm -hmm. it does, from what I've you know, I'm, I'm and I'm far from I'm far from being an, an expert on it. But um, at least to the extent that I understand it, and at least to the extent that I've looked into it, um, it, it does seem very technical. You know, in the sense that um, in the sort of like a cold sense of things being, you know, kind of technical, like, uh, you know, whether that Kabbalah or whether that's, uh, you know, really any kind of technical occult system you could look at. Um, it does seem mm -hmm. very clear protocols and, you know, procedures that uh, the practitioners would follow or the, uh, the own Myoji would, would follow. So. Um, Sounds interesting. It is, it is something I'd, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to get to in more depth and, and kind of in more depth in the future yeah 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 i'm definitely curious in exploring these sort of like like i mentioned korea has that saju 
system that we were talking about earlier and then i wonder i wonder if that would be i wonder if that would sort of be even the the equivalent of uh on Mildo. like I, I wonder if there's some maybe maybe something to look up afterwards uh to what extent that's sort of a similar um similar practices or i mean i, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some some crossover there oh for sure definitely it'd be interesting to bring it to a wider audience since most you know people in the west or europe and america are definitely haven't even heard of these things or not aware of um, these sort of native practices. And yeah, it's, it's very, um, it, they, are, they are very obscure still now. I mean, I, I think some of the, mm -hmm. I think some of the, you know, the Eastern systems are always, they're always like in vogue, but often, you know, <laughs> usually, yeah. usually, in a, usually in a very superficial or kind of a appropriated way. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, do you have, do you have a Zen garden in your house? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's usually it's usually on that very um you know or even like something like the theosophy kind of ideas of like hinduism and stuff so um right 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 <laughs> I, think there is this, I think there is this sense where it, it can come off in a western context in a very um in a very superficial or sort of like appropriative context um and even a lot of people are even surprised like even that there is like a japanese oto you know like what there's you know, there's there's non-Western thelemites. Like, is that is that, is that even real, right? Um, <laughs> right. right, um, right. And, you know what? They're they're not. You know, they're not doing it in English. Or they're doing they're doing a they're doing it in Japanese. They're doing a Gnostic mass in Japanese or what? Like, is that even is that even a thing, right? So, um, sure. so I think there I think there is that sense in which probably probably a good percentage of the uh, the cult world just isn't even isn't even aware of it so um mm -hmm. yeah so i guess um i guess if anyone could get anything from hopefully from this from this conversation or this podcast um yeah maybe looking into on Miodo or this kind of uh these kind of systems would be kind of a productive uh productive area of study or something uh something to look at okay for sure for sure um yeah i just recently picked up uh one of your books on amazon kindle uh right. welcome to the arms race i haven't cracked into it yet i just recently got it but uh um, okay yeah. yeah yeah i'm curious uh maybe we can chat a little bit about your writing and you know so you mentioned that you you're part of this art movement as well right called uh neo decadence right so, right right uh, yeah maybe you can let us know a little bit about what that is and Right. Um, yeah. So I'm always I'm always hesitant to uh, to clarify this. So I'm not I'm not actually the founder of uh, Neo Decadence. That's um that's uh the founder, the creator is uh, his name is Brendan Connell, and uh, he was uh, he he wrote the uh, he wrote the first uh, well he at, at the time he just called it Manifesto of Neo Decadence. And again, this is this is in the sense of. Uh, you know, writing writing artistic manifestos, which uh, which you know sort of sort of has a tradition behind it at this point with uh, surrealism and, and futurism and a lot of these other earlier um, earlier artistic movements, which were which were fairly you know unified or, or coherent. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I have been I have been working with it you know in recent years pretty pretty consistently and uh, I've. I've I've edited, I've either edited or uh, co-edited uh, 
let's see, about four, four anthologies at this point of, uh, of neo-decadent writing and, uh, mm-hmm. and manifestos of people uh, tackling various topics. Um, so just to give some of the background, I think um, hopefully without getting too technical, because I don't want to, you know, people who are not super into uh, literary scenes or sort of artistic scenes, like I don't want to, I don't want to bore them too much with uh, too much technical background. But um, I guess the underlying idea would be that um, a lot of what we consider um, writing and art and literature has become sort of um, sort of fossilized in the 20th century and um, even even earlier in a way. And, you know, it started becoming very stratified and um, commodified and sort of um, in the, in the mid, I would, I would even say the mid 20th century. Um, and I think one way to look at this is like, um, like, do you, do you personally like read much fiction? I used to these days. I mean, honestly, I read quite a lot, but it's mostly I read a lot of occult esoteric books. I read a lot of biographies. I read a lot of like right. and, um, psychology, but uh, I used to read. Right. Um, um, I, I'm, I, try, I'm trying to get back into it. I'm trying to I'm trying to get back into yeah, it. Yeah, and more, I think uh, um, but I think that's and, I think that's really like I I really relate to that because I I think for a lot of it, like what is the like, why would you, why would you read like, an, like a modern novel or like a, a book of short stories or like um, mm-hmm. a modern poetry or contemporary um, poetry? I, I think a lot of it is, it's become so stratified in the sense of being like a, appealing mostly to a very specific sort of demographic, which um, mm. I think doesn't have much to do with the way most people actually live or like what's actually um what's actually happening so on the one hand you have very very specific sort of genre fiction you know as we would say like uh you know like mysteries crime science fiction so there's sort of the there's sort of the hyper niche sense of that and then um then there's a sort of uh what you would call literary fiction which is usually rather um I guess you would call it like upper middle class, uh, you know, writing school sort of uh, NYC fiction, which which also in its own way is equally limited to a very um, to a very niche demographic of people who are mostly going to certain you know writing programs or universities to write this very sort of insular. Uh, mm. So you know, almost almost as I said with uh, you know joining a magical order. Or, getting into the occult, like, I would say, well, if you're not reading much fiction, well, like, why should you? Like, why would you? And I think that's a very good question. And I usually start with that in mind as well. And, and I do think most fiction is is very outdated, is very boring, um, doesn't, uh, doesn't actually grapple with uh, the way most people are perceiving, perceiving reality now. So um, that's sure. one of the that's sort of one of the main concepts behind neo-decadence. And um, most of that situation um, use the term uh, neo-passeism to describe it, which is which mm-hmm. sort of this uh, zeitgeist or this sort of uh, starting situation of, uh, 
hyper commodified sort of uh, niches of uh, creative work, you know, whether that's, uh, whether that's something like, you know, Marvel movies, or whether that's, uh, you know, the, the art world, which, you know, is, is also hyper targeted at only itself in, in a lot of ways, right? Um, so a lot of what we're hoping to accomplish is not really starting from first principles, but um, definitely like really critically examining and hopefully like reformulating even very basic areas of concern, like what is, what should poetry be now? What should, you know, fiction be now? What should, um, what should fashion be now? What should art be now? And um, how, mm. how do these areas sort of overlap and intersect? And, um, and occultism and esoteric practice is definitely, um, is definitely one of them. Uh, and there actually is a neo-decadent manifesto of occultism, which is, uh, which is written by uh, Damien Murphy, who I think I mentioned earlier. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that's coming out in a collection uh, that I edited called uh, 12 Man Neo-Decadence, 12 Manifestos, which is being released in about three weeks, I think, from now. Um, okay. Will, will these be on uh, like Kindle, Amazon, or also? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Um, it's initially coming out as just a uh, a physical book, a paperback book. But I do I, mm -hmm. I do want to get it available on Kindle and uh, Amazon and everything as is uh, is an ebook as well as uh, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, reach as many as people as possible. Um, so, <laughs> What this book that's, is. A, that's a good question. As a, as a writer, are ebooks blasphemous <laughs> from, um, a, I, from that neo decadent perspective? <laughs> I well, they like they're real. So they they, they kind of can't be. Um, I, I don't. Um, I have I have very complicated thoughts because my my own personal practice is always um, my my ambition is always to produce. A physical object. So I always, I always conceive of books as being, and, and maybe that's just the way I look at, I look at language in the sense of being like, it's something that physically exists. So I always, I always aim to come out with a physical book, a physical object, but I do read, I do read eBooks, you know, pretty much constantly. And, um, and I, I definitely want all of my own books to be available as ebooks um you know so whichever whichever way people and you know even something like audiobooks which i i personally don't really fuck with that much i mean i i know i don't know are you are you into ebooks or uh, au sorry audiobooks or um my I, I prefer real physical books that's like number one for right, me for right, sure, right 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 um but honestly i think most books i read are actually kindle ebooks Right. And then after that, like like uh, for me, ordering a physical book is like a special treat because right, 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 right. I, I know in Japan, you guys have Amazon Japan. Right. We don't have that at all in Korea. So yeah, yeah, yeah. To ship it over, it's expensive. But there are certain books you just need to touch and feel. And yeah. they're like far worth having in your library, right? But as far as yeah, that, yeah. You're, you're talking about um, uh, Audible, right? Basically like audio books. Um, I actually do have Audible. I have a subscription and... Uh, I only get certain kind of books on Audible that I feel are almost like, I feel like a lot of books are inappropriate for Audible. Like, because I, right. I need to, when I read a book, I like to dig into it and read and think about it. And 
perhaps even highlight depending on what kind of book it is right but right. there's other books that are like uh more like 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 podcasts almost right, 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 right. There, there are certain kind of books that are almost more almost more appropriate for audio in my opinion you know certain, right um, um i think another heard, another but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another another consideration is that my my own books are often um, I often kind of like experiment with um, typography and like the way things are sometimes laid out on the page. So um, right, it'd be yeah. completely inappropriate for an audiobook. <laughs> yeah, it um, yeah, well, audiobook. Yeah, um, even um, I, like I think now it's not so much a problem. But when the uh, when the e e readers and ebooks and Kindles uh, first came out. Um, mm-hmm. It's like you just couldn't like even do non-standard like text layouts or like formatting or like you know creations mm-hmm. that I'm sure a lot of people just wouldn't even have like you know like what if I what if I want to have two separate text columns on one page or something or like what if I want to have like one text column going sideways or something um, <laughs> like again mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I guess like most people just wouldn't even consider this as being necessary like wouldn't even have that as an issue but um, mm. at the time I was and I, I think the book you of mine that you got like it, the one you got is uh, Welcome to the Arms Race is that yeah 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 so there, especially with that one there's some of the stories in that are very like you know there's there's stories where things have like different font sizes and different fonts and like things are laid out in kind of unusual ways so um, my original concern was just like well can I even like do this on Kindle? Cause like, if I can't, then it kind of like fucks the story, at least the way I want it to be experienced. Um, mm. But I, I don't have any, like provided that that's like an option. Like I, I don't have anything against um, e-readers or eBooks or, um, and like personally, I, I don't really, I don't really like fetishize books either. I mean, and like, I wouldn't even, you know, like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even consider myself like, like a book collector or something. I mean, I know some, some writers and a lot of people I know are very like, you know, they have very complex organized libraries and they like super fetishize the physical book. And like, I, I just, even my own books, I just kind of, I wear them out. I just treat them like, you know, I throw them everywhere. I don't particularly organize them, but I, I really engage mm-hmm. with the physical books, but I, I don't feel any problem with like, once I've, if I've read something, I don't think I'm going to read it again. Like, I don't even feel bad just like throwing it away or throwing it out or. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think books should be like, physical books should be like unduly fetishized but um but mm. I, like i do think they should, like i do like producing physical objects um sure sure answers that yeah 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 um so most of your books are you you offer both formats is that right like uh yeah to the uh, to the extent uh, that um to the extent that i'm able to and to the extent that um the publisher will do that um mm-hmm. prefer to have my books in both, both hard copies and eBooks, if I'm able to. Okay. What What are some um, themes that you explore in your own writing? Like, you, you know, you've released quite a few books uh, by now, and you mentioned that you're like editing other ones, writing some new ones too. But uh, what are some like? I mean, are they all completely different? Or are there some like underlying themes in your writing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always um, 
like uh, I think the simple answer is they in practice they are all pretty completely different, which is um mm. it's kind of a difficult thing to explain because um you know like there's always this question like well, like what are they what are they about or what is it about and um mm-hmm. a lot of time it's um it can be difficult to sort of uh give a clear answer to that um but um I like to, like I guess you could classify it very broadly as experimental fiction, um, which again is is sort of a pretty empty term. But um, <laughs> I think I think it would be in, I think it does apply in the sense that um, I usually proceed from being concerned with structure and language more than necessarily just like telling an exciting story or something and i I don't really um Hmm. i don't i'm not really coming so much from the perspective of um you know what like is this is this going to be a you know fast-paced mental movie that you know people can execute by reading this book um so i guess my i guess my perspective is more sort of um sort of like poetry i mean i i I would um I also write a lot of, and you know, also publish uh, poetry a lot. So I don't think there's such a separation, but um, mm-hmm. when you're getting into sort of uh, narrative ends, um, but in practice, what does that look like? Well, um, I do write a lot of sort of science fiction, uh, science fictional works. Um, I also write realists. Well, I, I don't know what you would call realists, but um more sort of everyday reality sort of uh, things, uh, a lot of which are set in Japan. Um, and and there's some more just pretty out there sort of uh, purely linguistic or almost like a poetic sort of, uh, sort of works or sort of books that I'm putting out. Uh, so yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty all over the place and I, I'm always hesitant to like repeat myself. Like I think the the goal always is to like not not repeat as much as uh, as much as as much as possible. Right, right. Or like some authors, like it's almost like if you read one of their books, you read them all. You know, where I think your approach sounds ideal or at least unique in that like each one is totally different and. Um, it's like you're giving birth to a different child or something. Yeah, like yeah, that, right? and I um, yeah. I also, I also like don't really. I'm also like one of those um, writers or creators where um, mm-hmm. I get bored very easily. Like even with my, even with my own things. Like once, once I finish something, I really like to just sort of immediately move on to the next thing rather than, you know, um, sometimes even at the ex- even at the expense of like promoting it, like um. You know, there's there's a lot there's some people in writers who will like release something and then just entirely spend like the next year just spamming it everywhere, right? Um, <laughs> I, I I very quickly just like kind of just drop it and then you know what am I gonna make next or what am I gonna you know create next and um so uh yeah I like to uh I like to uh keep it like to the extent that I'm able to I like to uh keep every book uh entirely different or uh mm-hmm. you know, keep the style different keep the stylistic uh approach different uh, yeah it seems like uh I, I mean i'm not necessarily a writer i've written some stuff but uh 
um, it seems like a lot of writers will find, maybe they'll have a successful book or something like that. And then it'll be like, oh, that's the formula. That's the ticket. You know, that's the one that sells. Right, well. right. And, and, um, and then it's like, just mimic that. Like, how, what can I do best to like mimic that formula Right, the next one or something. That's the vibe I get, at least. Right, and um, I think um, I think a big part of like neo decadence, at, at least for me, is being um, is being like, how can I, how can I like commit commercial suicide consistently? <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> right. So how can I? Um, so I, I've never really like, I've never really had any like illusions in the sense of um, wanting to like support myself with my writing because I think once you. I think even like in an occult sense where you're, you're maybe looking at like, uh, if you're looking at your, you know, kind of Malkuth base of uh, sustaining yourself or living in the world. Um, I'd like to have that, you know, set aside and, you know, take care of that first. And then I can, then I can sort of do things which I consider uh, important. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I don't really, I don't really have like any, what I would consider like commercial, um, considerations and like if I you know like when I was when I was in my early 20s like I like just to see if I could do it I wrote some uh, I wrote some short stories and you know I was like well I wonder if I can like get into these magazines and uh, get paid for it right and um, mm -hmm. I think uh, I think it was something like actually uh, was it Stephen King said where he said like if you can um, if you can write a story send it to a magazine collect a check from the magazine and then, you know, pay the electric bill with the check, then um, I consider you talented. Um, so I was like, all right, well, you know, like I'm going to try to do that. And, and I did, right. And I got things accepted and, you know, I collected checks and, you know, paid some bills. Um, and then I very quickly got bored with that. And I thought, well, okay, now that I've, uh, now that I know I can do this, like I can, I can kind of get back to more, you know, important considerations or um, exploring what I actually want to explore rather than being like, uh, how can I, how can I appeal to people who in most cases, I probably don't really care that much about. Right. So. Um, right. It's sort of, it's sort of uh, giving birth to your own creations and doing right, right, right. So I always, whoever, I always let the, whoever's going to be magnetize it. It's going to find it kind of thing. Right, right. And I always think, well, you know, if someone's, if someone is meant to be reading this or engaging with this, then they probably actually will. So I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like the role of the audience is like, um, is something I ever like, really consider, consider that much. I mean, it, it might sound kind of strange, but um, I sort of, I guess, maybe even like arrogantly take it for granted that there will be some audience, but I'm mm -hmm. not thinking like, oh, how can I, how much of a check can I collect from this? Or like, how many, <laughs> are people, are people going to like it? You know, like I never really. Um, no, that, that makes uh, sense. Cause like, even in doing this podcast, it's not like, I'm not thinking like, oh, what kind of six sponsors am I going to get? And, you know, how can I get enough viewers so I can monetize it? Like, I mean, maybe someday if there's tons of viewers, obviously you can get at, um, what's that called? Like, uh, like on YouTube, they give you like the ad clicks or whatever the fuck it's called. But, uh, my main thing is just enjoying it and then asking questions I'm interested in and having conversations and topics. Right, 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 right. It's not like I'm doing this to like 
to achieve some commercial success so I can be the next whatever mega podcast or whatever, right? So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was like I guess there's, um, yeah, yeah I guess there's a... writing or anything, right? There's a, you know, the commercial approach versus like doing what you're going to do anyways and people are going to, you know, latch right. on or not. Right? People who are interested will definitely. Right, and um, I don't like, like, I think it's easy to, um, I think it's easy to like take, hot shots at people who take the um the super commercial approach and like i think it's it's easy to do because well it's it's tempting because it is easy to take pot shots at them and you know it's very like it is weirdly satisfying in a way because it's like you can you can be you can see these people who are like okay you know i'm gonna take the uh i don't know what you would call it like uh so and so master class and then i'm gonna learn how to do things the acceptable way and you know i'm gonna learn how to get the correct you know writing techniques for crafting blah 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 right and um i think like i think it's maybe similar with the with the occultism where um it's kind of like <laughs> that should that's that shouldn't even like I, I personally am not interested in anyone where that's their their mindset or their approach because um, you move from you move from having an exploratory approach to having a, you know, by the books or by the numbers approach, which um, right is is exactly the point where interest kind of dies, at least for me, right? <laughs> um, so right. I, I I like people who are writers who are too glib with, you know, um, you know, describing things as like. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a fast-paced psychological thriller with, uh, you know, undertones of uh, Tom Clancy or something. I mean, you know, I'm like, come on, fucking, like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to fuck with this or read it or, like, you know, if that's really how you're approaching it, right? Um, but, you know, everyone's, everyone's different and I don't want to, I don't want to shit on those people too much. Yeah, that, that's my mindset too. It's like, I can't really hate anyone for making money too like yeah i'm, I'm not gonna i, I don't want to like shit on them or you know take pot <laughs> yeah yeah too much exactly is as tempting yeah. as it may be right um mm -hmm. yeah for sure um, um but i guess i guess to kind of i guess to kind of tie things together um i think like uh, i think one of the again like aims of neo-decadence or what i see as being uh what should be one of the goals of uh fiction in the future uh is to kind of like decisively break with what with what I would consider like the uh, the kind of unquestioned um, materialist framework that um, is usually I guess what I guess what most like quotation marks like serious writers would be uh, would be coming from usually is a pretty um, unquestioned kind of materialist basis and um, I think occult occult influenced or like occult infused or uh esoteric perspective fiction um until now um hasn't been hasn't been super either super great or super common um and i think a lot of reasons for that and um again i, I don't want to knock it completely and you know there's obviously a lot of writers like arthur Machen or um even yeah, I mean you know Gustav Mayrink or you know there there are there have been fairly serious writers who are also 
fairly serious occultists and uh, practitioners, you know, or, or even uh, Yeats, obviously the, the poet was uh, GD, you know, Golden Dawn. Right. Uh, GDOG, or I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> um, uh, but he was, and, you know, he was in his own, uh, I guess, order of, uh, was it Celtic Mysteries or something too? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, um, mm-hmm. But um, I think the I think the standard or at least mainstream approach is very much like, uh, you know, like uh, he was able to succeed in spite of his, you know, absurd, you know, occult beliefs or, uh, you know, like amazingly <laughs> Yeats was able to produce, you know, quality poetry despite being an occultist or something. Right. So, um, right. At least in at least in mainstream circles, I mean, it's very condescending sort of uh sort of approach uh and and there's always an attempt to sort of uh divorce these writers or divorce these artists from their own practice um Hmm. and i think until very recently and like even even now sort of um like the idea that these these creators or these artists you know esoteric practices uh, were actually what produced most of their best work or uh, were essential to producing their best work has been sort of a, almost like a taboo idea because if, mm-hmm. if you admit that idea, then you would have to sort of admit that, you know, maybe current occultists or current practitioners uh, would be able to find equally valid approaches to producing serious work. And, um, and I think that does... Mm-hmm you know, chafe against uh, a lot of, a lot of the unquestioned assumptions. So, um, you know, decadence, I think like, I think, I think we're very upfront, you know, Damien is very upfront. Like he's just like, his fiction is just pure, pure occultism from beginning to end, you know, it's pure ritual fiction, but um, he's coming in from, you know, influences like, uh, you know, like uh, Rob Grier or um, Nabokov or uh, Gene Wolfer, a lot of these, a lot of these writers. Um, so, he, so he is taking it very seriously and executing it very in a very complex sort of technical way. Um, but at the same time, it's pure. His background is just pure occultism. You know, GD kind of background. And even for myself, I would even when I'm even when I'm writing something, I would consider a fairly realistic story, um, you know, set in sort of everyday life. Um, I try to always keep that, keep that perspective at the back of my mind too. So I, I don't, um, uh, which again is something I, I don't usually think is done much. I think even when, um, I think there's sort of a stereotype when occultists try to write fiction, they, they kind of like default to horror. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand um, what you mean. And I, I think even I think even Crowley is is kind of guilty of this. And I think um even like you know Crowley or like Machen are sort of like guilty of this to an extent where they they're um mm-hmm. you know if you ask someone like what is like occult fiction and horror fiction is being completely separate things is something that I think people kind of have trouble with sure sure i mean so they're like what would it they're like oh it's not it's not some kind of you know weird fiction or horror fiction 
like uh, well, what is it then? And and I think um, <laughs> I think that's the area which uh, increasingly I'm interested in. And I think uh, Damien and some of these other writers who are uh, pioneering this kind of territory. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what they're sort of uh, they're sort of pushing into is a realm in which uh, in which that occult kind of uh, infused fiction can exist and can kind of uh, stand on its own, uh, even mm-hmm. addressing things which might be very you know everyday kind of uh, ostensibly everyday kind of matters or uh, subject matter. Right. It kind of reminds me of like when you think of like occult themes or symbols and rock, it's always like heavy metal with a Baphomet, you know, <laughs> like that's the thing that comes to mind. Like it's kind of like with with uh, with the writing too. Like right, sort of right, right, right. And um, where it's it's almost like a caricature of itself. Where you right, can, and um, you know, yeah. I think um, again, like I never want to, I never want to like entirely like take pot shots at anyone's perspective or like shit on anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, because everyone everyone finds their own way to things. Sure. Uh, but I I do think like like with occultism, like I notice like a lot of people are coming from um it's interesting, like a lot of people are coming from martial arts backgrounds. Um mm-hmm. a lot of people a lot of people are coming from like I guess like even like role playing backgrounds, right? apparently like video games and stuff like that. Yeah. And like a lot of these, a lot of these things are things that like, I never had, I personally like never had any interest in. Uh, Uh So, so it's interesting to, uh, it's interesting to see how people uh, arrive at, arrive at certain places um, often by completely different uh, paths. Right. Um, Right. I've heard of, yeah, I I heard, I, I don't know. There's a show called like supernatural. I've never seen it. I think it's called supernatural. But apparently there's like Enochian language in that show. And that's how some people have found out about. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like hilarious. They, like some of the. It's actually quite, quite hilarious. I've never seen the show, but it's like, I don't know. I just imagine it being like some Sabrina, the teenage witch kind of right, program right. like and, this. But yeah, right. but no, I even, mean, um, what other way it takes, you know, I mean. Yeah, I think even the more stuff. like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne sort of version of Crowley or whatever. Um, right. I don't, I don't. I don't want to, I'm hesitant to say that like, it's not valid or like, it's not, um, it can't be of use, but I, I think there, I, I do think even quite, quite deep into occultism, um, I think a lot of people do still maintain the perspectives of, you know, the route or the path they took to get there. Um, even, even something very simple is like, what are people like, what are people dressing like? Like, is are mm. are we are people wearing black all the time? Because like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fucking dress like a goth or something. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> right. So, um, so I I think there's um I think there's a lot of these weird um sort of assumptions or like you know I don't want to really want to. I mean you know like I enjoy you know horror films and horror fiction, but I I personally don't really want to write it or. I don't even really read that much of it, you know, recently, especially. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, creating this sort of uh, different take or kind of like more flexible or more maybe like modern take on what um, occultist, occult fiction or occult um, art or again, even fashion might be 
might be like now and kind of uh, kind of coming up with that is what is kind of a, a big part of, uh, of neo-decadence and um, mm -hmm. it's still just really getting started. I mean, I think you're in, you're in the, the group there too, right? Or Yeah. 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 In the uh, Facebook group. So yeah. So you probably find, I mean, that... people can find the uh, Facebook group by just searching for neo-decadence, right? Is yeah. Yeah. They can, it should, it should pop up. And um, if you just Google, I mean, you know, there's already, um, I w I'd say that it's, from my perspective, it's still just getting started, but we already, uh -huh. you know, we are, there's, there's already a good, you know, 30 books, at least that I would say are very, very neo-decadent, um, you know, whether that's the, whether that's the anthologies with everyone, or that's the writer's um, individual books, you know, whether that's, uh, Brendan Connell's books or uh, Damien Murphy's books or my books or um, so there's already there's already enough material to keep people going for a while uh, but I still think it is just uh, getting started in some ways so I'm pretty excited mm -hmm. to see like what what paths it will take and how it will develop from now because um, I mean come on like I like I always wanted to create an art movement because just like who mm that right like no like no one no one no one seems to be very ambitious in this century you know what i mean sure sure they, yeah. they're staying to the they are um like you said they're following certain niches like i'm just going to be a science fiction guy or they're falling within certain lines rather than creating a new line like a new box right so right 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 and um yeah, I, I like the, i like the idea of it too i also like the idea of like like these other authors you're mentioning that have like occult themes in their books because there's cer certainly a resurgence of like the current and like different people publishing books or putting out courses on these topics but there's not I haven't really seen that much of a literary or like a literature side of it so and yeah yeah that's and that's sort of um, kind of done kind of done before but not you know yeah that's why really I, in ways, so, I think that's yeah. I think that's why it does interest me so much because um you know, creating a creating kind of occult literature, occult fiction, or occult art that um, that isn't genre material. You know, that isn't horror, or isn't uh, you know mystery or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's I think that's part of the big uh, interest for me. Um, and yeah, just, like I said, I mean, you know, if you uh, you read about the surrealists or you know the futurists or a lot of these movements, but that was, I mean, that was more than a hundred years ago. So who, like, who's, mm. you know, who's doing that now? Uh, <laughs> so I think it sort of becomes, well, why don't we just, you know, why don't we just do it then? You know, why don't we just create it and then uh, see where it goes? Um, and it's already, mm. um, it's already very international. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a faction down in uh, Brazil that is, uh, oh, cool. that is putting out books in, uh, you know, in, in Portuguese, uh, Brazilian Portuguese and, uh, they're translating all of our stuff and they're trying to translate their own material into, uh, into English. And, uh, there's people in, uh, there's a, there's a fantastic writer called, uh, Gaurav Monga who's in, uh, who's in India. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, there's, yeah, so there's people all over the globe really. So it is, um, I think that's maybe is one, uh, difference with earlier art movements, which were very, um, which were more provincial, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, 20, right. it's like 20 dudes in a cafe in Paris or something. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's, like, that's like that's kind of what I picture, but this is more like a global thing. Right, People right. And I think that was I think languages. that was a pro- I think that was a, I think the the twenty dude you know the twenty French dudes in a cafe or you know the twenty <laughs> the twenty Italian dudes you know with their suits or whatever. I, like I think um it was certainly appropriate for the time you know the early twentieth century, but you know this is this is the early twenty first century. Um, right technology technology has obviously moved on massively since then so um it like it it has to be international it has to be multilingual um Mm -hmm. it has to have you know perspectives from all over the place because otherwise i mean otherwise it would just it would seem kind of ridiculous you know if it didn't so um Right, right so that's a you know having that's another thing we're really um a lot of the recent material has been to have, you know, language specific or country specific manifestos where uh, writers and artists are sort of uh, determining what direction it's going to take uh, where they're at. Um, mm-hmm. Which again, really excites me because it's more unpredictable and um, it's still, it's all, it's all neo-decadence, but you know, the, the Brazilian faction is going to be different from maybe uh, the American faction or, uh, you know, the Japanese faction or something. So. Right. They have freedom to go their own way and to. Right, 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 right. Play, um, play their own unique cultural perspectives and backgrounds. Right, right. right. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, how can, so you mentioned uh, Neo-Decadence on Facebook. Um, is there like a website for it particularly, or is it just sort of each author has their own? Um, there's a, I think the the publisher that's most associated with it at the moment is uh, is Snuggly Books. Um, okay. So they're, I like I like the name. <laughs> yeah, because we like, and even with that, I mean, I think even that, like, we're because people were tossing around names and, you know, these. Uh, I think people were coming up with these very serious kind of stereotypical names, and I was like, why don't we just have a very harmless sounding or kind of ridiculous name? It's a very kawaii type name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sort of went in that direction. But um, Snuggly right. Book releasing primarily translations of classical decadent works. Like um, mm. a lot of those are translated from new translations from French, uh, Italian, Spanish, uh, even you know Chinese and some other languages uh, that are being released alongside uh the completely new uh, neo-decadent material. Um, so the Snuggly Books website would be a good place to look. Um, okay. I do have a blog where I'm hosting uh, really in-depth interviews, uh, text interviews with uh, with a lot of the writers and artists in question. And uh, oh, cool! In the very near future, there will be, you know, likely. Uh, of a main uh, main site with uh, manifestos and lots of uh, lots of content. So, uh, yeah, I would just say uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. All right, cool. Yeah, in the uh, show notes on YouTube, I'll uh, link your blog as well as the Facebook group, and then also if somebody wanted to find and and the publisher as well, and if uh, Snuggly Books, if somebody wanted to find your books in particular, I know that some of them are available on Amazon. So. Um, how would someone look up your books on Amazon? Uh, how would someone look them up? Um, just literally just go to search and uh, type in Justin Isis and um, everything should just pop straight up from there. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll put a link in for that too. And uh, all right, cool. I think we did a couple hours here, I believe. Yeah, right? I, um, it's, it's actually so, really uh, good timing. Uh, actually, I uh -huh. head off uh, pretty shortly, get ready for work, but it's actually, it's actually almost like perfect uh, timing, I would say. Um, all right, cool. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Perfect. This has been really uh, a pleasure and great. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, yeah, thanks so much again. Um, I, and again, I, I think I mentioned before we started recording, I, I did try to like prepare for this by listening to uh, your podcasts <laughs> and um, I, I just got completely sucked into them. And uh, I, I think already like how many is this is this going to be like what the, the fifth or the. Yeah, this is the fifth. I think this is the fifth one. But yeah, uh, um, yeah I think. I think you mentioned you listened to the one with uh, Frater RC, right? Yeah, I got, I just got completely uh -huh. absorbed in it and I just, I couldn't yeah. tear myself away. So I, th I think you're already offering uh, just so much value with this in uh, mm -hmm. many levels. And I'm, I'm definitely going to like obsessively subscribe and just see who mm -hmm. one you have on. Uh, have on. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I really look forward to, uh, to seeing where it, uh, where it goes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, all right, cool. I guess we'll uh, sign off for now and until next time.